Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. podcast i am andrew alex from espn radio here in blacksburg i am joined today by my two business partners my colleagues and my friends first in the 757 we have the one and only ricky leblue ricky what's going on man uh so the nba draft completely snuck up on me mike and i were talking about this before we recorded so I am very curious to see what my Pistons do tonight. We got a new GM. Um, so if you're an NBA fan, this is an interesting, interesting night. We've already seen some crazy, crazy trades going on. So I'm um, curious to see who the Pistons will decide to ruin their career uh, for the next four to five seasons. I just think they should go ahead and sign Siku Dumbayev to the max contract after such a productive rookie season. Uh, <laughs> it's just- all right. Umbuya is not ready for a max deal as much as I love that last name. And speaking of last names, there are some really good names on this pit roster that I'm looking forward to talk about in this preview. Yeah, I'm the radio man, and I don't even like have any idea where I'm going with some of this. There may be times where I just defer and just say name all the guys before we even go. But you know what? That's how it goes here in a very turbulent week heading into Pittsburgh. But speaking of turbulent, we have the most dangerous man on Virginia Tech Twitter, Mike McDaniel, joining us today. Mike, what's going on? You know what? I don't even think I'm the most dangerous man on Virginia Tech Twitter, the way things have been going this week. I think <laughs> I might have been for a span of about 12 hours, and now I think we're past that. Hey, man, I just, I'm excited. You know, we're, we're a, a week and change away from Thanksgiving. Really excited to grab some dinner with the friends and the fam. But hey, we got a whole lot to talk about. Pittsburgh on the horizon. The Hokies travel to Heinz Field, where, quite frankly, they have not really had much success over time. But maybe they can turn that around this week. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about, you know, Pittsburgh's stellar front seven we're going to talk about kenny pickett we're going to talk about the Hokies and what they can do to win but first before we do any of that i have to remind you folks that this podcast is brought to you by main street pharmacy main street pharmacy in downtown blacksburg is the pharmacy you go to if you want your health care provider to actually care about you at all if you want a pharmacist that truly cares about you and not some giant corporate conglomerate that's only in it for the money, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, I want to start with this, right? Because we know as fans and as alumni of Virginia Tech that the mood of this fan base has, over time, 
been quite polarized. Now, at times during the offseason, or even after the Wake Forest game, you would say that there were a couple of extremes. There were people who were saying Fuente is our guy. Fuente is our coach. He's going to be here forever. And there were people screaming to, you know, fire him. And those are extremes. I don't like extremes. I, I don't like people that protest wearing masks at the grocery store, but I also think it's a little silly to wear a mask when you're alone in your car. But that's not the case here anymore, it seems like. It seems like now we have a very solid amount of people that are screaming fire Fuente, and then maybe an equal, if not lesser group who are kind of just apathetic towards the situation. That being said, one of my favorite quotes, things can always get worse. And with that said, I think this Pittsburgh game is pretty important. It's like a bellwether state in an election. You need to win it. What do you guys think? On a scale of one to 10, how important is this Pittsburgh game for Justin Fuente in terms of just not losing the fan base completely? At this point, every game is, is uber important. Um, I don't think Fuente can really afford to lose many more games if he wants to seriously kind of revive his standing with the fans. Um, Tech's four and four. They're on, they're in serious territory of finishing under 500 again under Justin Fuente, which would be just catastrophic for his, his standing amongst the fans and specifically the donors to the program. I think that would just about sink him um, and any chance he had of coming back from, from what we've seen. Um, for those who really pay attention, Pittsburgh's not very not a very good football team. Uh, they have a pretty good defensive line, but elsewhere, if you look around, and we'll obviously go throughout, you know, Pittsburgh's roster and the pod and, and what they've done this season. Pittsburgh's just not very good. Now they had a good win against Florida State last week, but it, it is impossible to gauge what that win meant because Florida State is such a mess. How much credit do you really give Pitt there? So I'm not really high on Pittsburgh coming into this game. And for all of the struggles that Virginia Tech has had, I do think Virginia Tech has played a, a better season thus far than Pittsburgh. So I think this game is is pretty important at this point. Um, this game and the Virginia game are the two most important games left on the schedule, simply because they're what Fuente's best chances of getting a, a win before the end of the year. Um Obviously, if he goes out there and loses by 40 to Clemson, then that's not going to make anything better. But I think fans realistically understand that that game was a loss coming in. Anyone who thought that game was a, a real shot at a win needs to get their, their mentals evaluated. Uh, Pittsburgh and Virginia are the two best chances that Tech has at a win for the rest of the season. They need to get, they probably need to win both of these games if Fuente is going to go into next season with any momentum. So this game is pretty important. I guess I give it probably an eight. Yeah, I think uh, to be, to be honest, and I agree with Ricky. I mean, I think every game from here on out holds equal importance. It's just whether or not Virginia tech has a realistic chance of winning the game. Right. So like Clemson in a couple of weeks, we look at that game and you're going to say, yeah, that holds every bit. Uh, I mean, it's every bit as important as, playing well against Virginia or playing well against Pittsburgh this Saturday, but the chances of winning are 
drastically different. Now, what I do think is important in these games down the stretch is not only that Virginia Tech plays well, but Virginia Tech wins these games. I don't think Tech has a realistic chance of beating Clemson, obviously, but if Virginia Tech were to put up a fight and at least look competitive for some of that football game, I think fans would feel a little bit better about things coming out of that specific football game. Maybe not the trajectory of the program for you know the entire season or moving forward, but at least coming out of that game, you won't have the tirade on social media that a lot of fans had after Liberty or after last Saturday against Miami when Tech had that game won and just couldn't put it away in the fourth quarter. This is an important game on Saturday, but I'm with Ricky. I don't think it's any more or less important than any other game the rest of the way for Justin Fuente. So from like a scale of one to 10, it doesn't really matter what you rate it in my opinion, because I think every game from here on out is equally as important as the next for Justin Fuente. He's in a spot right now with the fan base where no matter what he kind of does, he's short of winning an ACC championship. He's not going to win back a lot of these fans, right? So there's not much he can do for, for the rest of the season except make sure his team plays hard and plays well. And that's really all he can do in the near term. He's got to Virginia. You can't lose him more. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely can't lose to Virginia. But, but from the standpoint of like winning back goodwill from the fan base, it's going to be a multi-step process if you want to make this thing work and get this thing back going. I think we all have a feeling and, and a pretty strong feeling of how this looks like it's going to end at this point, but it's a matter of when. So it feels like a lame duck head coach situation here with Justin Fuente until further notice. Now, if Tech plays well the rest of the way, say they go two and one in the rest of the regular season, say they win a bowl game and then are able to recruit well in, in the off season, get going on 2021 and then have some momentum next year. Like I said, it's a multi-step process. Then, you know, if tech plays well throughout the season next year and gets some momentum on the recruiting trail, then maybe he can start to turn things around. But until these, each individual checkpoint is met, it's going to be really hard for Fuente to, to win back a large portion of the fan base and rightfully so given the way the tech has played. Yeah. And Mike, you're completely right. And you know, the unhappy marriage metaphor has been worn out at this point, but it's a good metaphor. And that's why everyone keeps using it. But that being said, right. I think that in the 21st century in college football, more so than, I mean, especially nowadays with the internet being such a big thing, the mood of the fan base online and how that's projected matters a lot more than maybe it did in previous years. And you're Justin Fuente now, and you know people gave you a pass for losing to Carolina, given the COVID situation at the time, and given the fact that even if Virginia Tech was at full strength, Virginia Tech might not have been the favorite in that game. But now with Wake Forest, Liberty, and the University of Miami, you've lost three games that you're a favorite in. And the confidence, not not just the ire towards this coach, because I think there's, I mean, the ire has certainly increased, but the overall confidence level in the staff has rapidly declined. And, you know, Virginia Tech, I mean, Sands Clemson, I don't know how they're going to, I mean, they should be the favorite in every game for remaining this season. So Pitt and UVA, they should be the favorite, right? But even in a game against Pitt where they're favored, I put it out on Twitter because I was just curious earlier. And I said, how confident are you? that the Hokies are going to beat Pitt. The options were very confident, somewhat confident, somewhat unconfident, and very unconfident. In a game against a Pittsburgh team who, you know, 
a month and a half ago, we all looked on the schedule and checked off as a highly probable W. Very confident polls, 7%. Somewhat confident, 22%. The rest, somewhat unconfident, 31%. And our big leader in the poll, with 40% of the vote, very unconfident that they're going to win this game that they're favored in. The people are losing faith. And I don't think you can truly gain their faith back. But if you keep disappointing, not only, because I don't know, the financial situation maybe does mean that Justin Fuente is toast. And I've always kind of thought he was toast. I thought that there was two ways this marriage was going to end. He would either get fired or he would do well enough that he, someone else picked him up. Obviously do well enough that someone else picked him up is the preferable option there. But if you have that much of a lame duck coach, it's not a good situation. And Justin Fuente needs to win these games, not just for the long-term of the Virginia Tech program, but for, but for the long-term of his own career. I mean, like if he completely flames out and loses all these games, tell me the group of five program that's gonna hire. Well, well here, here's, my, here's my thinking because there is a general trajectory of how these things usually go in college football when a school doesn't necessarily want to fire a coach yet, but changes need to be made. And it comes with with Babcock forcing the hand of Justin Fuente from a assistant coach standpoint. The one guy who I think we can point to, and it's not going to be in the near term, but it could be in the off season, that I think could be shown the door is Brad Cornelson. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at the defensive side of the ball, there are so many guys who have been hired recently with the exception of maybe Tracy Clay. Tracy Clay is the only other person I can think of in this scenario who I think could be potentially let go. And I hate, I hate just sitting here speculating about it, but let's call it what it is, right? The linebackers overall this year haven't played very well. We've talked about that on this podcast multiple times. They played great last Saturday against Miami. I thought they played the best game of the year, but in totality, they haven't played great. On the offensive side of the ball, while Brad Cornelson operates a Virginia Tech offense that is very good statistically, it's inherently flawed from a passing game standpoint, and the development of Hendon Hooker has probably at best stagnated, right? And and at you know, I, I think we can look at some of the statistics and you can see regression, right? Quarterback rating, stuff like that. So there are some elements of his game from a passing standpoint that have regressed from a year ago. And when Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente aren't confident enough in their starting quarterback to convert a passing down of third and six, and they're running the ball short side of the field in those situations to get a more manageable opportunity on fourth down, when you don't have confidence in your quarterback to convert a six or seven yard play, which is a manageable down by all indications. I mean, in my mind, an unmanageable situation where you would be running the ball to set up a, a fourth down that you could potentially pick up a first down on, that would be like third and 10, third and 12, third and 14, right? And you're in the middle of the field in kind of that weird zone where you don't necessarily want to punt the football away. So I could understand running the ball there and setting up like fourth and five, fourth and six, but for, for Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson to say, you know what, we're going to run Hendon Hooker and we're going to try to pick up a first down on fourth down instead of third down. That's troubling to me. That means they don't trust their quarterback. And that's one reason why I think a change could be made because this is not the worst offense Virginia Tech's ever had. It's far from it. 
In fact, this might be the best offense they've had. I, I mean, the, this five or six year run they've had um, coming up here with Justin Fuente, because he's going to get a sixth year, guys. I don't think he's going to be fired in the offseason. So this, this run that they've had for the last five or six years is the best offensive tenure in Virginia Tech history, I would argue. I think you can make that argument from a balance standpoint, from a statistics standpoint, from an explosiveness standpoint. The, stati- the stats back that up, but that doesn't mean that there aren't areas where Virginia Tech can improve on that side of the football. And you talk about play calling, you can point to the development of the quarterback, you can point to the development of some of the skill makers, the skill skill players, and playmakers at receiver. So it it doesn't mean it's totally just not a flawed unit. I think it, it is, right? The passing game is totally predicated on what they do running the football. If they don't run the football, they can't move the ball at all. So I think a change could be made there because there are so many new faces on defense. I'm not sure they can really pull the trigger on anybody, but a massive shakeup that would essentially tell you whether or not Virginia Tech can take the next step moving forward, give Tress and Fuente, could be moving on from the offensive coordinator. So that could be a potential move that is made in the offseason with bad progress of Justin Fuente enforces his hand on some of these decisions that maybe Justin Fuente truthfully doesn't really want to make. It'll certainly, it'll certainly be interesting. And I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because, you know, we could do this for hours, right? And we got, we got a game to preview, but it would be, you know, being a Virginia Tech fan and following this program and everything that comes with it tends to be unconventional and weird. And, you know, having the athletic director force the hand of the head coach to reassign or take responsibility away from or even fire a coordinator who is likely to lead an offense that'll finish in the top 25 in the country in total production would definitely fit into that regular Virginia Tech narrative of weird. But we got Pitt to talk about. And I want to start about by talking about Virginia Tech's offense versus Pittsburgh's defense. And I've been saying this for a long time. Pitt, what are they known for? Strength up front. This is the school that produced Aaron Donald and they have remained consistent in that regard for quite some time. It's a classic strength versus strength matchup, right? Virginia Tech strength, their run offense. Pittsburgh strength, their run defense. Something's got to give, right? My first question for you, Ricky, and like you can answer it as well if you want. Can the Hokies win this game if, if Khalil Herbert's not at full strength? Uh, yeah, it's a lot less likely. Um, we talked about this in the last podcast about how Miami was the best defensive line that Virginia Tech has played all season long. And sure enough, Virginia Tech had their lowest rushing output of the season. Well, guess what? Miami, or Pittsburgh's defensive line is better, folks. And um, the level of defensive line play and and defensive front play that Virginia Tech is going to see is going to be the highest they've seen all season over these next three games, and it starts with Pittsburgh. Um, That should worry fans because, and I I talked about this in the last podcast, I know it kind of turned some heads, but the, the strength of the defensive front of the teams that Virginia Tech has already played this season is not all that great. And I went through the statistics in the last podcast. They're on my blog. Go read them. I have them all there for you. Uh, it's, it's possible and reasonable to pull from that 
that Virginia Tech's offensive production is inflated by a poor schedule and specifically a poor schedule of defenses that they've been playing. So now they're going up against a extremely good defensive front and a back end that's all that not all that bad yet either. If you look at the total defensive metrics, Pittsburgh is around the 30 range uh, in defensive football efficiency. Um, obviously the defensive front is their strength, but they've got some good guys on the back end as well. Um, so the, this this game really does boil down to whether or not Virginia Tech is going to be able to score points because I'm I'm expecting Virginia Tech's defense to kind of have a decent game because Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's offense is, is really bad if you look at the numbers. Um, but this offensive line really needs to show up. They did not show up against Miami. Christian Darisol played okay. He kind of neutralized Quincy Roche, but the rest of that unit got blitzed. They got they got manhandled for most of this game. Um, six sacks allowed. I believe that's a season high for for Virginia Tech. They need to be better in the run game and in pass pro. Um, and I'm not all that confident that they're going to be able to be better, or at least much better than they were against Miami. The the one and I I just want to add to that um, what Ricky was saying about the really good defensive front that Pittsburgh has. And I agree with him. Pittsburgh is only allowing 2.4 rushing yards per play this year. That's the best mark in the ACC. So it's a really, really good rushing defense, um, passing defense around seven yards per play. So it's, it's not great. They're tied with several teams. They're right around the middle of the ACC in that regard. Um, but overall, this is a, this is a pretty decent front seven, there are some playmakers in the back end of the secondary, but Pittsburgh's passing defense overall this year has not been very good. The strength is certainly stopping the run, but you'll be able to throw on Pittsburgh if, um, it, you know, you're going to have your opportunities, right? And the thing that really just boils down to for me, for Virginia Tech offensively, is how confident is Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente in this particular game to have Hendon Hooker be a major part of the game plan throwing the football? The answer is probably not very confident given what we've seen so far this year with how they've kind of put the handcuffs on. They haven't let them just let it loose throwing the football. But Hendon Hooker in this game, if this offensive line can stop this Pittsburgh pass rush and Hendon Hooker has an opportunity to throw, he's going to hit on some throws here because Pittsburgh's the back end of Pittsburgh's defense, they allow some big plays. And I think Hendon Hooker is going to have some opportunities here to throw the football if Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente allow him to. And that's the big question for me because Virginia Tech is only going to be so successful in the running game, whether Khalil Herbert is healthy or not. It's less of a, it's less of a big deal to me with the health of Khalil Herbert. It'd be great to have him at full strength and, and have be able to run the ball. But I think Pittsburgh's going to bottle it up anyway. They've done a great job against everybody they've played stopping the run. I just don't think Virginia Tech's going to have all that much success moving the ball on the ground in this football game. So in my opinion, this entire game comes down to whether or not Hennon Hoover is going to be able to hit throws and whether or not the coaching staff has faith in him to do so. Well, one thing that that struck me last week, and we talked about it in our pregame pod last week, right? It was, you know, Miami had two stellar defensive ends in, in Phillips and Roche. And the spotlight was going to be on Christian Derrissaw and Luke Tenuta to see if they could stop him. And as Ricky mentioned, Christian Derrissaw did a fantastic job against pretty much the number one transfer on the market in Quincy Roche. Luke Tenuta, not so much. Pretty much got manhandled. 
sometimes you got to be brutally honest. Well, things aren't going to get any easier against Pittsburgh. Patrick Jones, the second one of their defensive ends, second in the nation in sacks. The other end, no slouch either, Rashad Weaver, he has 11 and a half tackles per loss. Now, I'm not worried about Derrissaw. And this is what I'll say to you, Virginia Tech fans, Hokie Nation, whatever you want to be called. Enjoy Christian Derrissaw. Enjoy him like the cigar you smoked on your graduation night. It'll be gone soon, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it because 12 months from now, he will be playing for some NFL team in all likelihood as a first round pick, maybe an early second. But Tenuta and the rest of that offensive line, there were times with those six sacks that we saw last week that they were drive crippling sacks. They were sacks that took Virginia Tech off schedule or killed the drive altogether. Can this group get it together? Because they have to, or else we're going to see the same stagnation that we saw last week. Am I right? Part of this falls on Hendon as well. He, he's got to get the ball out faster. Um, and this is another kind of indictment on Brad Cornelson because Hendon just hasn't developed the pocket presence that you would like to like a quarterback to have who is in his almost his second full season as a starting quarterback. Um, he has started enough games at this point where Hendon should have some semblance of an internal clock and we just haven't really seen it. It's just not there it's, yet. It's just not it's there not. yet. And he's, he's, he's pretty good in the play action. He, he generally takes care of the football. We've seen a couple of exceptions, but by and large, Hendon does not make bad decisions, but Hendon just does not process the, the opposing defense fast enough. And too often times he's not getting rid of the football. Uh, so the blame goes both ways. Uh, Virginia Tech's offensive line does need to be better. They were not very good against Miami. They're going up against a better unit this week, and they're going to be facing two other good units later in the season. But Hooker also needs to make sure that he is doing his part and not holding onto the ball for far too long, which we did see multiple times in the Miami game. And we saw it against Wake Forest as well. Uh, I believe he also took some bad sacks in the Boston College game, if I, if memory serves me properly. So th this is kind of a trend. And, and like Mike was saying earlier, as productive as Virginia Tech's offense has been, you've always got the feeling that they're just not – they're not operating at peak efficiency. And those wounds have always been self-inflicted, it feels like. Leaving, and, a few, leaving a few plays out there. Yeah, they're they're leaving plays, they're leaving points. They're not they're not achieving their full potential. They're not operating well. It, it, it's like it's like you've got a a 1967 Mach one, right? And it's like fully restored, and then you put like dirty gas in it, right? Like and it's it's just not going to run right. Um, that's kind of it's kind of what the tech offense is doing. Like you've got this really really solid. Group. Don't laugh, Mike. It's not a, that bad of an analogy. Come on, man. It's just, no, we're not, no, it's it's not. It's not the. It, it's Mike's not the over here frying me while he's on mute. God. No, listen. It's not the strength of your analogy. It's just the fact that we are now the the Virginia Tech analogy podcast. I, like, and I and I'm totally so fine analogy. with that. Well, technically it's metaphors, but yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it, it is meta. Yeah, it is metaphors. 
I am totally fine with being the analogy podcast. That's okay. <laughs> but, but, but continue, Ricky. No, I mean, I, he just – we haven't seen this tech offense operate at their max capacity, and it's it's extremely frustrating for the fan base when they see an offense that has some tools and those tools are not being utilized. Yeah, and that being said, I mean, it's a trifecta, right? I mean – we talked about the offensive line and how they need to win their individual matchups. Hendon Hooker needs to do well, not only with his internal clock, with making, but he has to make the right reads in the read option game and all this, keep the offense on schedule. But when you see a weakness in the game of football, a lot of the time, especially when you see upset, upsets, is about individual matchups and how you expose your opponent's greatest weakness you are as strong as your weakest link and when it comes to this Virginia Tech offense versus this Pittsburgh defense the Pittsburgh's defense their weakest link is in that defensive back group so to an extent the offensive line can do what they do and they can do it well Hendon can play the standard Hendon game that you look for make the right decision 95 percent of the time don't make you know crippling mistakes don't turn the ball over but the last key to that is whether it be Tavion Robinson, whether it be Trey Turner, or whether it be Caleb Smith, we need to see a guy win their individual matchups and one-on-ones against this pit defense, or else you're not going to be able to get that chunk yardage. And, you know, with how good Pitt's run defense has shown themselves to be over the course of this season, the season that's basically over, you are who you are at this point. And, Virginia Tech's going to have to find a way to expose that or else it's going to be a really long day. Yeah, and and Pitt does have two pretty good um, pretty good guys in the secondary and DeMar Hamlin and Paris Ford. But like Mike said, the strength of, of this unit has definitely been in the front seven. So this is an opportunity for Virginia Tech's receivers uh, to get right and, and to produce. And I'm actually working on something about the lack of depth in this receiving core because tech really has three options. And one of them's banged up right now in James Mitchell. Hell Trey Turner could still be banged up and we don't really know because he's been dealing with a nagging leg injury all season. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a, it's an intriguing situation and tech fans are losing their patience because they feel like they've been asking this question now for multiple seasons about why the offense is not operating at peak efficiency. And I think that there's definitely a scenario in which Pittsburgh's defensive line is so dominant that this Virginia Tech offense grinds to a halt. And if that's the case, it's going it, to, it's not going to be a pretty sight. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Pitt wins a, a low scoring game. It, it, that's the path to them winning because we'll get into the offense here for Pittsburgh in a second, but the Pittsburgh offense hasn't been very good. So I think Pittsburgh's path to victory, truthfully, would be a low scoring game, right? The, the idea would be that you scored just enough on the Virginia Tech defense and you're able to dominate enough up front against Virginia Tech's offensive line to stimmy that offense, right? For both a running and passing standpoint. I mean, that's the path to victory for Pittsburgh. You look at their defensive line and the thing that stands out to me is not only do they have star power, but they have depth. Patrick Jones, the second leads the team in sacks, uh, eight, eight sacks on the year. Rashad Weaver is five and a half sacks. John Morgan, another defensive lineman, three sacks. Dayon Hayes, two and a half sacks. Deslin Alexander, two sacks. Devin Daniels and two sacks. These are all defensive linemen, guys. So And I'd like to I'd like to point out that John Morgan, for those who have been following Virginia Tech recruiting, 
for multiple seasons. John Morgan was a guy that Tech did recruit and eventually backed out on and decided that they did not want to keep, not want to keep him. Yeah, so that's just the defensive line before we even talk about their linebacking core, which is really good too. So they got they got Avacier guys. Yeah, that's well, right. I've been waiting to say that name. That that I'm so glad that that I was able to get that name in. Well, Ricky, one thing I'll, I'll jump in on. You mentioned Paris Ford earlier, and I guess this is good news for Virginia Tech fans, and this is news I had learned only like an hour ago. But Paris Ford actually opted out of the season uh, following their really humiliating loss to Notre Dame. So we won't have to deal with him personally. But on the other side – Who is that, Andrew? It, it, it Paris, out there. Ford. Paris Ford. Oh, Paris yeah. Ford out. Damn, okay. Well, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I mean, that – that doesn't help the secondary that's been leaky already. I mean, he's he's a pretty talented player, and not having him makes a difference. Yeah, so, I mean, that's good. But, I mean, Mike, you mentioned the linebacking core, and, Ricky, you mentioned former VT targets. Well, former Virginia Tech target Chase Pine is in that linebacking core, as well as Cam Bright, Phil Campbell, and Servassier Dennis. Is, am I saying that right? Servassier? Yep, Servassier Dennis. Real quick, let's go through this roster, boys. There are so many cool names <laughs> on this it, roster. So we've got Servassier. I'm going to save the best one for last, but we have Servassier Dennis. Israel Abaniconda. Hell yes. I have a Bam Brima. Brima? I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Bam Adabayu. <laughs> God, if he was playing football, Tech would be absolutely screwed. <laughs> Um, there was one more on here before I get to the other one that I wanted to wanted to talk about. Where is it? I don't know. Screw it. We'll go ahead and go to the 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 jackpot, which everyone already knows. Shocky Jock Louis. Yes, sir. How That's many awesome. times are Tech fans going to hear that name on Saturday? Hopefully not too much. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. I hope we don't hear any name of defensive players way too much because that's Andrew, uh, that's a good segue into the offense. You're welcome. Yes. And segueing into <laughs> the offense. All right. We'll 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 start out with the basics here. The Pittsburgh offense, right? There is one name you think of when you think of the Pittsburgh offense, and that name being Kenny Pickett. You probably think you've known the name Kenny Pickett for quite some time, and that is because. You have. You have. <laughs> Kenny Pickett, <laughs> he burst onto the scene all the way back in 2017 when the Pittsburgh Panthers upset the then number two Miami Hurricanes, destroying their championship hopes and dreams. That being said, since then, in, in the three years in change that has followed, Kenny Pickett, in terms of ACC quarterbacks, has kind of been the guy at the bar that's always there but doesn't contribute much to the conversation. I don't have that much analysis on Kenny Pickett other than the fact that I know he has a pretty strong arm, but I know that Ricky LeBlue knows Kenny Pickett. And I know that ever since I met Mike McDaniel a few years ago, I've been hearing him talk about Kenny Pickett on the radio when we break down these ACC games. So maybe you can enlighten me on who this guy is, because I, I see him as like a 2018 Washington Redskins, Alex Smith, average level player when it comes to college football. But am I right? Am I wrong? All right, so in order to give proper perspective on Kenny Pickett, we need we do need to go back to 2017 when he got into the game for Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech ended up winning on the goal line stand. I I actually thought Kenny Pickett was going to develop into a serious problem. 
back in 2017. He had the tools. He had an arm. He had a bit of a moxie to him. He was very mobile, ran the ball well, was able to miss tackles. I felt like Kenny Pickett was really just scratching the surface of what he could do. Um, four years later, mm-mm, <laughs> it's not there. Kenny has not developed really at all since he's been in, in, in Pittsburgh. And I know he missed some games due to injury this season, but if like if you watch him, if you actually go back and look at his numbers, it's just not there. He he has not developed into this multi-talented um, serious threat from the quarterback position. Now I say that now and he'll throw for 371 yards and two touchdowns and, and Pittsburgh will win this game going away. But just by going off of what we've seen, Kenny Pickett has not turned into what he should have turned into. And um, while we're talking about indictments on coaches, that's kind of an indictment on Pat Narduzzi's staff uh, for not getting this guy the coaching and the talent around him that he needs in order to thrive. Because I really do feel like some tools are there that can make him an issue. Yeah, I agree. Uh, The thing about Kenny Pickett too is so much of what he does is predicated on the rushing attack at Pittsburgh. I mean, we talk about that in, you know, Virginia Tech standpoint with Hendon Hooker. We talked about with D.R. King with Miami. This is a little bit different because Kenny Pickett is not a spread option type quarterback where, you know, I know they operate out of the spread a decent amount in Pittsburgh's offense, but they do also go under center, more traditional pro style offensive attack. And where Kenny Pickett has his success is as a play action passer. The problem this year with Pittsburgh is that they're not running the football very well at all. Historically, what we've seen in Pittsburgh, they're real bad. And, and what you've seen out of Pittsburgh historically is that they've had a guy like James Conner. You know, they've had a guy like Quadri Allison and Darren Hall. They don't have that, right? They do have some talented backs in the backfield from the standpoint of multiple guys who were four-star recruits coming out of high school. But the problem is none of them are producing. Um, they have the law firm of Davis and Davis, A.J. Davis and Vincent Davis, that – you know, take a bulk of the carries. They're not really doing much of anything. Pittsburgh's rushing offensive yards per play, 2.82, is worse than the ACC. They don't run the football very well. And as a result, the passing offense struggles too, right? So we talked about Kenny Pickett being able to establish himself in the passing game because, you know, with the play action pass and that's his strength. Well, Pittsburgh hasn't been able to throw the ball well this year, even when Kenny Pickett's been healthy. I know he missed some time and Joe Yellen got in there, but overall, When he's been healthy, he hasn't had a ton of success because Pittsburgh hasn't been running the ball to help him out. Pittsburgh's passing yards per play, 6.4, is fourth worst in the ACC, right? So they're they're not a good offense. They don't throw the ball well. They don't run the ball well. Um, There's not really much they can do with any consistency. So, you know, Virginia Tech fans, they talk about Tech's offense and they complain about Brad Cornelson. But if you look around the league at teams with a similar record, you got to feel pretty good about the offense you have relative to some of these other teams. Now, I know that's not the goal or the expectation or anything like that, but it, my point is it can be worse. And we're, we're likely to see what that looks like on Saturday if Virginia Tech's defense shows up and even plays a semi-competent game defensively. Mike, I'm actually geeking because when I was in college, I worked for a lawyer in Radford named uh, Patrick K. Moore. Shout out to him. Very good man. Great lawyer. If you ever need a lawyer in Radford. But right next to our law firm was another law firm, and it was the law firm of Davis and Davis. So there you go. Uh, But I mean, with that being said, right, and 
I'm going to stay on picket for one second and then we can get back to the running game. These wide receivers, I mean, Virginia Tech has had their issues in the defensive backfield. We didn't see Waller last week, you know, given the nature of how things work in college football. We don't know if we're going to see him this week or who we're going to see at all. Do these wide receivers scare you? Because I know Pickett can be a check down Charlie, but we also know that he has an NFL arm. Even just today, some Pittsburgh account was tweeting that Pickett had already declared for the NFL draft. I mean, he's a senior, but he has that extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Pickett quoted the tweet pretty much immediately and said, we'll wait and see until the end of the season. But I mean, you can't get beat on the deep ball there, right? You can't have anything leak because he can complete it. How, how much does that worry you guys? Well, they do have some talent at receiver. We've already talked about Jacques Louis, but Jordan Addison has 52 catches already this year, which is pretty high. Um, he doesn't seem like a real deep threat if you just look at the numbers. And I haven't watched a ton of pit football, so if I'm incorrect, please tweet at me and tell me I'm, I'm wrong. Um, attack but, him personally. Attack him personally. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I, I welcome all personal attacks. Uh, I usually respond with gifts now because that's really all I got for you. Um, when you look at Pittsburgh's group, they don't have a ton of talent outside, but there's a little bit there. And considering the issues that we've had in Virginia Tech's secondary, I think that's all that, that you really need. It's just a little bit of talent because Virginia Tech's secondary is certainly beatable, whether it be up the, up the seams, on the outside, deep over, deep towards the sideline. They can be beat just about any way. Uh, so I'm not going to discount any group of receivers against this Virginia Tech secondary because for most of this season, they have not done a great job covering. Yeah, I would say that this Pittsburgh, that the receivers for Pittsburgh, I don't think they're as good as what Tech saw a week ago against Miami. But what I will say is that Jordan Addison, much like Zay Flowers at Boston College, where um, there was one prime target that Filtrakovic walked into. It's the same deal here for Kenny Pickett. You know, we talked about Jordan Addison having 52 catches for Pittsburgh this year. There's no other receiver who has more than 22 catches. Jacoby is second on the team in receptions with 22s, right? So the next closest guy has 30 receptions less than Jordan Addison. Now, from a chunk play standpoint, DJ Turner is the guy to look out for. He's averaging 16 yards per catch. He's been more of their big play threat down the field. But I'd say Jordan Addison is their most consistent receiver. And Jacques Louis is just a fun name to say, but he's also a pretty productive guy for them as well. Well, Mike, and I'll, I'll just bounce right back to you now that you've said that. I asked you this when we were previewing Boston College and anticipating Zay Flowers. You have that dominant slot guy that they keep looking to in your Virginia Tech. Who is the defensive back that you want covering him primarily then this this might sound ridiculous but I think Dorian Strong has been Virginia Tech's most consistent defensive back so if he's healthy I mean I, I think you roll with him um I know it's it's been kind of hit or miss and he's been a little bit banked up but I think he's the guy you look to I mean if Jermaine Waller's healthy I don't think you just roll him out there and then throw him on Pittsburgh's best receiver because he hasn't been consistent even when he's been in the game this year um, and Breon Murray has been susceptible to giving up big plays. So I think I, it's as crazy as it sounds, I think you roll with a true freshman to see what he can do. Um, but I, I don't know. I think Virginia Tech is probably more likely to go with Armani Chapman or someone like that. But 
you know, if I'm Justin Hamilton, I don't hesitate to put Dorian Strong out there and see what he can do against the best receiver on Pittsburgh's team because he's been up to the challenge more often than not for Virginia Tech in the secondary this year. He's gone toe-to-toe with some of the better receivers that Tech's played against this year, and he's held his own. So I think you kind of roll with that. I Look, from the standpoint of, like, Breon Murray being healthy and, and being out there, I, I think it's just kind of been uneven performance for him this year, and I think the capability to be – that kind of lockdown defender is there, but from a consistency standpoint, it's just something I worry about. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what Virginia tech does. Um, unless they play more zone, if they play more zone, it's not really going to matter. They're just going to line up where they line up and kind of see where the chips fall. Ricky. I mean, you look at this pit run game, right? And this isn't the James Connor pit run game. This, you know, if, if the James Connor pit run game is, Lonzo ball this run game isn't Lamelo ball it's Leangelo ball it's not very it's not very good at all whatsoever but we know that the Hokies you know the run defense has been an issue so far this season and to their credit they hunkered down a little bit against Miami they've shown improvements as the season has gone on are you, are you concerned at all that this will be a problem or are you kind of just rocking and rolling and hoping that they can prevent that deep ball and prevent Pickett from going off. I think the important thing is that Virginia Tech's defensive front not give up the big play. Um, I'm not confident in Pittsburgh's ability to consistently gash Virginia Tech for five or six yards of rush. Pittsburgh hasn't proved that they could do that all season. Uh, Virginia Tech's defensive line has, I think, relatively been pretty good. Uh, especially if you look at it relative to the other units on the defense, but I'm, I'm not confident in the Panthers' ability to come out there, line up, and just run it down Tech's throat. I do think Tech can can realistically contain the running game, but we all know that this Virginia Tech defensive front loves to give up those big run plays, whether it be the inexcusable 90-yarder against Louisville or whether it be a 20-yarder here or a 15-yarder or whatever there. Um, we've seen this tech defense blow gaps before. So I think that's going to be Pittsburgh's only way that they're going to have a, a serious output on the ground. Um, and if you can't tell by the, my, my mood in, in this podcast, I don't think Pittsburgh's going to score a ton of points in this game. I think anywhere from 24 to 28 is the kind of their ceiling. Um, And I think anywhere in the low to mid twenties is probably realistic. But then again, we saw what they did against Florida state. Who's a bad defense. They put up what 41 in that game. Um, Tech's defense has not been good for most of this season. So there's always that chance that uh, this is the game where Pitt kind of, kind of turns it around. So I think we can establish as a group, right? I always like to think of, I don't like to say what's the worst possible case scenario because the worst possible case scenario is always outlandish, like, you know, Virginia Tech loses 70 to nothing or something, something that's, it could happen, but it's not going to. I like to talk about the worst possible likely case scenario. And when I see that, I think the worst possible likely case scenario is we see a game where, Virginia Tech plays a lot like they did against Wake Forest. The defense kind of 
hangs in there and the offense stalls out? Is that like the run game gets shut down and Virginia Tech just can't move the ball, can't stay on schedule, can't put points on the board? Is that is that Pittsburgh's most likely route to victory? Yes, yes. I, I think Virginia Tech, I, I think the worst it could possibly be is what we saw in the fourth quarter against Miami where Virginia Tech's defense continues to hang in there and play well, but the offense just sputters and can't really get much of anything going. I think that's the worst case scenario. And I think that's Pittsburgh's best chance of winning the football game. If Virginia Tech scores more than 28 points, I think they're going to win. I think they score more than 24 points. They're probably going to win because I, like Ricky said, I think Pittsburgh's ceiling is the mid twenties from a point standpoint. Pittsburgh has only gone over 30 points three times this year. One of those games was against Austin P. This is not a good offense. And if Virginia Tech's defense shows up and plays a similar game to even how they did against Wake Forest, they don't have to go out and play the best game of the year like they did against Miami, but they even play like they did against Wake Forest, right? Where, okay, th there were some big plays given up here and there, but overall you feel pretty good about the performance. I think that that will be enough to get the job done if Virginia Tech's offense can score a little bit. And that's the big question for me is can Virginia Tech find ways to score without running the football? This is the big litmus test for Virginia Tech. I know it's interesting to say that in mid-November, but it's a pretty good litmus test to see where this team and where this program is at, where Hendon Hooker is at as a quarterback. He was really good last year. He's regressed a little bit this year, but we generally feel good about him being the starter. I mean, I don't think any of us want to pull him out the starting lineup. I think he's the best quarterback Tech's got. And I generally feel pretty good about Hendon Hooker and the quarterback that he is. But I'm interested to see if Brad Cornelson takes the training wheels off of him in this game. Because I truthfully, regardless of whether or not Khalil Herbert is healthy, I don't think Virginia Tech is going to win this game running the football. I don't. I think they're going to have to make throws, whether that's in traditional dropback situations or if that's trying to build off of the run that they're trying to establish against this really good Pittsburgh defense. Regardless, this is Hendon Hooker's game here. He's got to win you the football game because I don't think Tech runs the. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe we come back next week to recap it. To, you know, Khalil Herbert ran for 180 and three scores, and Tech won in a blowout. I think that's very unlikely. I think this is a handed hooker game. By every stat we're looking at, it's showing that Pittsburgh's defense is going to give Virginia Tech a lot of trouble running the football. So it's a question to me as to whether or not Hendon Hooker can make throws, and that's the biggest question for me. And I think if he's able to do that, I think Virginia Tech does win the game because they have more avenues to score than Pittsburgh does. Pittsburgh's offense just isn't very good, guys. Ricky and Mike first, I will say, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. And I think that plays in to what has frustrated Virginia Tech fans throughout the course of this season. You know, you talk about Pittsburgh as being a low ceiling team offensively. Well, we know and we have seen multiple times Virginia Tech is a very high ceiling team offensively, but we've also seen the floor a couple of times now, and it's cost Virginia Tech in games that they should have won. But Ricky, do you feel the same way as Mike? Because I pretty much do. Yeah, I I do see a situation in, in which Virginia Tech does give up like 30 plus um, just because this defense has shown for most of the season that they're not very good and that they can be beaten. Um, but Pittsburgh does lack the the requisite weapons to make that a likely scenario. So the I think the nightmare scenario for Virginia Tech is that the offense just doesn't get going. 
um, and and looks more like the fourth quarter against Miami, like Mike talked about when Virginia Tech goes out there and just looks anemic and, and looks incompetent and, and they can't move the football. Hendon Hooker's making poor reads. Uh, that's kind of the nightmare scenario because I do think Virginia Tech is going to give up anywhere from 21 to 28 points. Most likely it could be a bit lower, it could be a bit higher, but that's probably the range. Um, Virginia Tech should be able to score 28 or more in this game. Pittsburgh's defense is, is vulnerable. Um, and if they, if they establish any semblance of a, of a ground game, I think Virginia Tech can, can really start to get, get up the numbers and, and they can put up 38 plus, but Virginia Tech's offense has got to find a way to, to at least be competent on the ground and then use the threat of the run to open up the pass game. Uh, but like Mike said, they're going to have to make some throws in this game to win. There's going to be some third downs that Virginia Tech is going to have to convert in, in critical situations. I do not see this being a blowout. I think Vegas has got this pretty, pretty close. I think the line is like three. Yeah, it's three and a half. I think that that's pretty close. Um, I don't see either team winning this game by more than two scores or excuse me, by, by more than a score. I think it's going to be a seven-point game either way. Last question I have for you guys before we get to our ACC picks, and it comes down to kind of putting your your pretend Justin Fuente hat on. It's a weird year. It's a COVID year. You have your Clemson, you have your Notre Dame, and you have your Miami sort of in contention. Virginia Tech you know, they're not playing for that coastal title like they were through the month of November last year. It's kind of you're playing for peanuts, you're playing for pride. And these guys aren't stupid. These guys are on the internet, just like the rest of us. They see the negativity pouring in from the program or towards the program, I guess you should say. If you're just in one day, how do you motivate these guys, not only for today, but for Clemson and UVA? What's your calling card going forward? I think Virginia Tech has to understand that everyone is basically counting them out for the rest of the season. They've become irrelevant. Nobody in the national media cares what Virginia Tech does for the rest of the season. Um a lot of the local media, including us, have been extremely critical of the program, and they think that Justin Fuente is kind of a lame duck, and that the next se the next season plus, it's kind of just a waste of time, right? Because I think everyone's kind of come to not everyone, but I think a lot of reasonable reasonable people have come to the conclusion that Justin Fuente is just not going to get it done in Blacksburg. Um, this, these players are not going to lead Virginia Tech to anything significant. Um, this program is not going anywhere for the, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so Fuente can kind of pitch that us against the world mentality where, you know, a, a good section of our own fans don't think we can do this. No one in the media thinks we can do this. Um, the only people that think that we can do this are inside this room and it's up to us to shut these people up. It's up to us to prove these people wrong. It's up to us to show that these people don't know what they're talking about. And we've seen Justin Fuentes teams do this before. We've seen them come back from 
heartbreaking losses or boneheaded losses and play good games. We saw what they did in 2018 when they look absolutely dead in the water. It looked like the bowl streak was absolutely over. It looked like they had no chance of beating Virginia. I said as much. And sure enough, Virginia Tech makes a bowl game. They beat UVA. Um, we, we've seen that kind of resilience in this team before. So it's not like they can't do it, but it's just not as likely, right? So Fuente's got to motivate these guys that way. He's got to show these guys what they are capable of, and he's got to make them believe it. And he can do that way more than I can because he's an actual coach. I'm just a talking head. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's got to be an us against the world mentality. Um, it's like Ricky said, the fan base is out on them and, and the players. Uh, even when folks on social media say, oh, it's not that we don't believe in the players. It's that we don't believe in the coaching staff. Well, I mean, the players are an extension of the coaching staff, guys. Like, they're taking the teaching and they're taking the play, the, you know, the, uh, you know, they're taking the play calling and they're, they're going in with the game plan that the coaches give them. And they're trying to execute that to the best of their abilities. At the end of the day, these players are just an extension of these coaches. And you're either all in or you're not. And it's easy for a lot of people to say, oh, we can criticize the coach. We're not going to criticize the kid, which I get. And I wouldn't say, don't, you know, don't go, don't tweet at 18 to 20 year olds. Don't, don't even tweet at the coaches, but, but you can voice your criticism. I think that's fair. And I think that's what we've, we've been doing the three of us. And I think that other, you know, other outlets have done that as well. But then there are folks who are tweeting at players and coaches and with Babcock and just don't stop. do that. Just stop, stop it. Doing that. Stop. And, yeah. Go, go do something productive with your life. Okay. Yeah. Go to work. Like, these, <laughs> these people are not coming to your job and telling you how much you suck at your job. Right. They're not complaining about how much you're on your phone at your desk. Right. Like, I get it. People are pissed off and, and they have every right to be. And if you want to pull your money from the Hokie club, go ahead. I'm not right. going to sit here and, and, and stand for the Hokie club because it's not my job. Um, if you want to pull your donations, you have every right to do that. It's your money. Do what you want. Uh, but don't spend your time blowing up mentions of players and coaches because number one, it's just, it, it's not productive. It accomplishes nothing. And number two, I can guarantee you that they feel the same way. Like Justin Fuente is not over here sitting over here grinning evilly and, and you know, talking and thinking about how he can wreck the Virginia Tech program. Justin Fuente is pissed off that they can't win football games. You may not like the answers that he gives at the podium, but th that's not the point. Justin Fuente you know, is a good man. Justin yes, Fuente is I, a good I, family I, man. I have zero qualms with Justin Fuente as a human being. I've talked with him off the record numerous times. Justin has been respectful. He's been polite by all accounts. He is a terrific family man. Um, he's a good ambassador for the school and for the athletic department. And anyone who has any criticisms of Justin Fuente that are not football related can go take a long walk off a short pier. So don't waste your time blowing up these guys' mentions and telling them that they're shitty or that they're stupid or this, that, and the other. Just go, go drink beer, man. Like, go, <laughs> exactly. go open up a bottle of whiskey or go do something. Go rake leaves. Go, go play some video games if, if, you, if you like COD or whatever. Go do something productive. Like, 
Twitter can be so toxic. And Mike, you've learned this firsthand because your mentions have been a nuclear wasteland for the better part of three days. And you fed into that today by nuking your mentions as I as I shared with you this morning. I was gonna say Mike plays into it. Mike, Mike asked Mike is bored. He's yes, just, Mike, he, Mike does appreciate some trollery from time to time. Um, but for him, it's all in good fun. Uh, but yeah, it, the, unfortunately, the Virginia Tech fan base is not happy. People are upset, people are pissed off. And I'm here to tell you that you need to get off of Twitter because it's not making anything better. If you really want to voice your frustration, um, you can write a letter. I think that's a, a professional way of doing it. You can go buy a punching bag and beat it up. You can pull your money from the Hokie Club. You can do whatever the heck you want. I don't really care. But making things personal and attacking people on Twitter, whether it be a media person or a, a player or a coach or a staff or attacking people personally, it's just we don't, we don't need it. Yeah, I just don't think that Whip Babcock comes into his Monday morning meeting, throws down a you know a Manila folder and says, "I have a folder here full of Fire Fuente 2020s tweets, and we need to make a change here." Like you know, these people are professionals, and and Whip Babcock is another great person. I've I've had the pleasure of knowing Whip for several years, and Whip is a a, a fantastic guy by all accounts. So, um. Oh, absolutely. I agree. don't hate these people, man. Like these, these aren't bad people. They're just not doing well at their jobs right now. Yeah. And you know, we'll, we will see how it turns around, but we are running pretty long right now, gentlemen. And if there's anything I know is that people tend to tune out when we go to like an hour and 30 minutes. So <laughs> on that note, we will go to our A, C, C picks, starting things off. It'll be on Friday night, and it'll be the Louisville Cardinals hosting Dino Babers in the Syracuse Orange, which, and unfortunately, you know, Ricky and I and Mike, I think, have all talked about how much hope we had in Dino Babers. His time might be pretty limited. Syracuse at one and seven. Louisville totally underperforming expectations at two and six. Nonetheless, Louisville an 18-point favorite at home. Mike, what do you got? Uh, Louisville wins, Syracuse covers. Louisville's defense hasn't been good enough, in my opinion. I, look, Syracuse's offense is real bad, but Louisville's defense hasn't been good enough for me to feel comfortable about them covering almost a three-touchdown spread. Best thing in this game is Louisville's offense, for sure. So there's a path for it to happen. But I wouldn't be so confident in Louisville's defense that they're not, they're not going to give up a couple garbage-time scores and have Syracuse cover, even if it is a blowout game. So Louisville wins. Ricky, what do you think? If I ever bet on a two-win team to cover an 18-point spread, I want both of you to come to my house and beat me senseless. Uh, Syracuse to cover. This is a hard one for me. Actually, quite a few hard ones here. I'm going to go with... You know what? I'm going to go with Louisville. By the way, just to inform, I still, unfortunately, the my records with the total overall are still at my work, which I can't go into for a week because Nathan got COVID. But I can <laughs> I can tell you that last week I went four and one. Mike went four and one. Our guest picker Cam Underwood went four and one, and Ricky went an impressive by his standards so far three and two. Uh, Dude, we're above five hundred. That that's what we're talking about. That, that's what I want to see. 
Well, yeah, you actually might be getting closer to 500. I think that might have pulled me and Mike over the top because we were only a few games. But, well, here's a big spread. God, you guys remember back in the day when Clemson, Florida State used to be like the bellwether game for who would represent the ACC yes. in the college football playoff? Not anymore. Clemson, a 35-point favorite on the road against Florida State. Mike. Clemson in a huge, huge, huge win. Clemson. Clemson is going to carpet bomb the rest of their schedule. I am not looking forward to the Clemson tech preview on this podcast. Give me the Tigers. We'll go all around on that one. Clemson for me. I, it took me a while to find an actual line on this game. <laughs> but were we talking Virginia? Abilene oh, Christian? yes. UVA yeah. and Abilene Christian in what should be the game of the week. In you should have just asked Mike. I'm sure his degenerate mind found one. Yes. Um, I actually sure didn't did. even go looking for it, quite honestly. <laughs> Abilene Christian, fresh off of a loss to Division II Angelo State. <laughs> they travel to UVA, where UVA looking to even up their record at 500. The Hoops, a 35 and a half point oh favorite. God. Mike, what do you got? UVA. <laughs> 35 and a half. It's a lot of a lot of points. That's <laughs> a ton of points. Um eee. give me Abilene Christian. 35 is <laughs> a lot. That, that's I mean, a ton of points. For for I mean, I understand Brandon Armstrong's made that offense better now that he's been back, but 35 and a half? Yeah, I don't know. I'm totally torn on this one. That's Are they a lot playing of... NCAA 14 on freshmen? Hey, Abilene Christian lost to a school called Angelo State, which is why I'm <laughs> picking UVA. You know what, Mike? You convinced me. <laughs> UVA. Does anyone know where Angelo State is? Does anyone have any clue? I'm going to guess Texas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. Arkansas. Real quick. That's a guess. I have no idea. San Angelo, Texas. Oh, Andrew nice. Andrew and it looks right. like they have completely like ripped off the new Rams logo. That or the Rams ripped off them. Like they, the logos look extremely similar. It, go look it up if you're listening to the pod. Um, I feel that in, in there should be some copyright violations there. Yeah, right. Call our lawyers. Call our lawyers. The, the law <laughs> firm of Spotty, Brady, and Dick. Um, all right. Here's one that should be interesting for the Hokie faithful. Number 21 now, Liberty, coming in 8-0, travels to North Carolina State, Raleigh, North Carolina, Carter-Finley Stadium. The Wolfpack, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going with NC State, but I really do think this is a coin flip game. Like, I think NC State is the more uh, – put together team from a talent standpoint. But what scares me a little bit is that Hugh Freeze can really coach offense and Liberty's offense has been really good and they've been scoring on everybody that they play. And look, Liberty scored on Virginia Tech's defense, right? Put up 38 points and won the game. Uh, Virginia Tech put up a ton of points on NC State's defense and won that game. So I think Liberty's going to be able to score on NC State by transit property. I also think that I, I just look at NC State's offense too. 
and, and Bailey Hawkman has been good in relief of Devin Leary, but you're rolling with, you know, the, if you're picking NC State like I am, you're rolling with Bailey Hawkman continuing to figure things out through the air, which he has. He's been pretty good since coming in for Leary. I, I just think NC State is the more talented team, and I do think they find a way to win this game close. But I think it's a total coin flip. It wouldn't surprise me if Liberty won, and maybe I'm just a Liberty hater. I don't know. Ricky? Uh, somebody is going to beat Liberty. It is not going to be Bailey Hawkman. Give me the Flames. Well, that somebody would have to be a bowl game. I don't think their schedule is very imposing after that. Again, it's kind of a tough week in the world of spreads. And I think we're having more division than we usually do. And I'm, I'm going to put my favorite in the Wolfpack. It seems like Bailey Hockman's sort of figured it out. And they played a decent game against Miami. Can they stop the running quarterback? I don't know. This is a total guess. Don't listen to me in any regard when it comes to this game. I'm going to go with NC State. Last one, though, gentlemen. The Virginia Tech Hokies travel to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they take on the Pitt Panthers. The Hokies, the favorite, again, as they have been all season, except for against North Carolina, three and a half the spread. I'm putting my money on Hendon Hooker to throw his way to a Virginia Tech win. I don't think Pittsburgh has enough in the tank offensively um, consistently enough running or throwing the football to win this football game. I think Virginia Tech's defense will play well again. I'm not sure they'll be as dominant as they looked at some points in the game against Miami, but I think they'll still play well. Um, and I'm hoping that they're, that they play well. So that's kind of two consecutive weeks where they've looked confident. That would be a really nice step in Justin Hamilton's favor because the defense just hasn't really been consistent all year. So that would be really nice to see. I just don't think Pittsburgh's offense has enough in the tank. I, I think Virginia Tech wins this game close. I think it's low scoring. I'm going to say 21-17 Hokies. I, I think they win, and I think the spread is right around where it should be, quite honestly. But I, I will say this. I think there is a path for Virginia Tech to gain separation if they are able to run the football. I think if they're able to run the football, it's a big if on Pittsburgh's defense. I think that's how you gain the separation to win this game by more than one score. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it happens, but I think the path is there if they are able to figure out how to run this Pittsburgh front. So give me Virginia Tech close. It'll be an ugly game. It'll be a, a win on the road that they absolutely need, but I don't think it's going to be pretty by any stretch. Um, I don't think Justin Fuente is going to lose four or five. I think that that's a, I think that's a mark that's a tad low where he's at as a coach. Um, Pitt's offense stinks, but they're going to find a way to score a little bit. I think Tech's defense did show some serious signs of improvement. Uh, of course, right after I called for Justin Hamilton to be reassigned because that's just how this world works. Uh, I do think Tech is Tech's defense is going to stabilize a bit and play a bit more like they did against Miami, simply because Pittsburgh just doesn't have much to offer on that end of the field. I think Tech will... I think actually I'm going to go with Pittsburgh to cover this, but I do think Tech wins. I think it's a 27-24 game. I think Tech kicks a couple field goals because uh, they're going to get stopped in the red zone a couple times, but I do think Tech is able to win this game by three. That three-and-a-half point spread obviously is a pain in the ass, uh, but I'll, I'll take Pitt to cover, but I'm going to go with Tech to win this game by three. You know what, gentlemen? 
you guys know how I am with this. I just throw shit at the wall and hope it sticks when it comes to <laughs> But, you know, one of our great presidents in the United States said, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me can't get fooled again. So I picked who, who is this president? Who the hell said that? George Walker Bush, uh, 43rd H president of the H United w. States. H.W., not just W, H.W. No, 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 that's George Herbert Walker Bush. He didn't say this. this is George W., the one who got oh, a shoot. I thought you said Herbert Walker. Sorry, All right, sorry. So George W. said this. Yes, W. Yeah, he said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, can't get fooled again. I'm going to go with Pitt, and I'm going to keep picking against Tech until they can prove me otherwise. I'm sorry. You guys, you guys know I love the Hokies, but I, I can only do so much. But that's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you for listening. For Great review, subscribe. Uh, you got him. You got it. In all seriousness, though, you know, we've had a lot of traction in the last couple of weeks, a lot of new followers. And if you're a, a first time, second time, third time listener, thank you for joining us. If, if you're someone who's been with us the entire time or joined somewhere along the line, we appreciate you just as much. This is what we do. This, this is how we have fun. We put out content about the team that we love. We analyze it. We try to do some journalism stuff for what it's worth and and we, and we rock and roll but like ricky said rate review subscribe you can follow us on twitter at hokey hangover you can like us on facebook the page is called hokey hangover podcast it's pretty cool just get involved and if you have friends who like tech tell them about it word of mouth still a very powerful tool in this day and age we'll be back early next week to recap the game and i think we'll be back later in the week because you know what folks basketball season's coming up and we're going to be able to during the Hokies bye week really dive into that and get ready for that because Hokie basketball should be you know a lot of new faces a lot of returning faces year two of mike young a lot to cover and we will do that but until then folks enjoy the game you know, I know the weekend before Thanksgiving, a lot of people do Friendsgiving. Enjoy your Friendsgiving. Don't be that guy that doesn't bring anything to Friendsgiving. No one, want, no one wants to be that guy. But you know what? Have fun. Eat well. And go Hokies.